Hey, you got low light from Sniper's Hide here, and you're listening to the Everyday Sniper. Thanks for paying attention. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Uh, you guys have been fantastic commenting on the Podbean app. We'll jump into a few of them. But uh, got back from Alaska late Friday night and uh, had a tough time getting restarted, man. I was kind of like getting caught up, and my stuff piles up, technically speaking, um, when I'm not here. You know, stuff still comes in. Emails are still happening. I'm only checking emails like every other day. So you end up like 450 worthwhile emails to go through. And man, we've been getting a metric ton of sign-ons on Sniper's Hide in the forum. So we manually do all that, which I was talking about. And um, it's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of getting everything back into shape. So I'm, I'm a little late, man. Sorry about that. Uh, I, you know, not super late, but late enough. I want to thank Mike and Adam for doing their podcast after the Mile High Shootout in Craig, Colorado here. Uh, Sounds like they had a really good time. Uh, Mark and I were able to listen to that podcast on the drive back from the Sheep Creek Lodge. Thanks to everybody up in Alaska. This was a great season of training up in Alaska. Technically, I have one more class to do, and that is at the end of September. But we're done for the season other than that one class which then coincides with the Sheep Creek Lodge's reunion. So basically to pay for the trip, basically, basically, basically. So to pay for the trip, I go up, I teach one class, ended on Saturday. Saturday night is the re- is the reunion party for the Sheep Creek Lodge. Uh, Jesse and Molly there took over the lodge the same year we started classes. So it's a, it coincides with each other. Really good deal that way. And then Sunday is the open reunion shoot. So any alumni, any past students, you know, we all go up and just hang out, shoot together, go over. It's a way, I guess you could bring new people in. And then it looks like, you know, Mark's going to have that other banquet in February. We're going to see if we can make it up there. It's looking pretty good. It's in a, it's in an empty time of the year. So it, it'll probably not be that bad to go up to the Captain Cook Hotel. But thanks to everybody up in Alaska. Thanks to everybody from the lower 48 who came to Alaska to take their classes. Uh, It's been fantastic. I mean, the season's not over yet. Uh, Come not tomorrow, the day after, or Friday, rather, I start a class for Mile High. And so I'm getting the range ready for the Mile High class that's coming up. Uh, We got a three-day happening. And then the following week after that, I have the gathering going on on my range. If you hadn't heard, the gathering is a joint venture between the Army Sniper Association and the Marine Scout Sniper Association. So the two of those groups are having a get-together here in Colorado. Uh, we're going to go downtown to the Wine Coop. Uh, that's Hickenlooper's place. We're going to meet up on like Friday night. Uh, and, and have dinner or something like that. And then Saturday, we're going to my range. I'm going to open the range up for everybody. And man, it, it, it turned into a big deal. Like I just thought like they have hog calls up, you know, hog call up. So basically it's like, hey, hogs, come to the, you know, Pendleton or hey, hogs, come to Camp Lejeune. And, you know, they sort of coincide it with the classes and, and things like that when, when students are graduating And so they'll bring some, you know, if you're an older member, new member, whatever the case may be, Marine Scout Sniper, you can go to it. Well, this time they wanted to have a joint party, you know, kind of like the Army Association and the Marine Corps Association. 
And I had volunteered at SHOT Show to let him use my range and said, well, you know, Denver isn't so bad. It's kind of centralized, maybe not completely, but it's it's still an easy trip for people. You guys should, you know, if you want, you have my range to do a hog call up. Well, then it kind of ballooned into this um, gathering, which turned into a, you know, kind of a pretty big deal. But uh, let me see, man, because this is like, the big thing, I mean, here's just some of them. I don't have the main list of what's going on, but I want to thank everybody sponsor-wise. I mean, because this turned into a, like a sponsor central, like a competition event. I mean, we got they, they list me, number one, but then they got Vortex stepped up, and there's some stuff coming from Vortex. Leopold Optics is going to be there. They got stuff coming from Leopold. Uh, found out today that Applied Ballistics Training Division is gave us like $2,000 to put towards our dinners. Basically, the whole event is covered. Dinners for everybody. Uh, bar tabs, you know, like we, we, we I guess we have like 2,000 on top of Applied Ballistics. I know uh, Leopold, I think, is doing the same thing. But they're like, here's two grand for the Marines bar tab, you know. Here's two grand for your dinner. Here's this so the, the associations don't go out of pocket. MDT, they're doing stuff. OSOK. Apparel company. I don't know who they are. Um, OSOK, uh, but Apparel they stepped up. Twenty two kill. They stepped up. Bravo Four Actual Gorilla Ammunition. Tacom HQ. Windsor Armory. Tor Knives. National Suiting Sport Foundation. NSSF. You know, there's all these people that are stepping up to provide support to this event. We're going to have some clinics. Uh, my range is going to be open up to them. We're going to do all kinds of stuff. But um, it, it's looking like a really, really fun event. And, and it's a nice kind of break from the classes and from doing that. Like I said, I'm going to end up finishing up the mile high class this weekend and stuff. And then, you know, got August in Michigan or not Michigan, Minnesota. Uh, I guess they're. We, we opened up pretty a lot of slots for Minnesota. So if you guys are interested or somebody's interested in going to the Minnesota class, we can fit a few more bodies. It's not like a class class where I only want like 10 people. You know, we can handle a bit more as far as that goes with the numbers and everything. So Minnesota is at the end of August. Uh, let me see what those dates for Minnesota are. And we're definitely looking like we're going to be on when it comes to uh, the, uh, what do you call it, the, the uh, Tennessee class. So Minnesota is looking like the 30th and 31st. So that's my Minnesota class, uh, August 30th and 31st. That's like a Friday, or that's when I'm going. So it'll be 31-1. Uh, um, I get there on the 30th. I got home on the 2nd. And then it looks like the dates that we were at, and let me go in here, and, and I'll tell you what the dates are going to be. The 25th to the 27th of October. October 25 to 27 in Tennessee at Treadproof. Okay, and that's more than likely looking like it's 99.9% there. It's going to be a lower 48 Mark and Frank show. Okay, um, plays really well into this range because it's a little bit of a shorter range. It's got a big 100-yard line in 360, so there's going to be stuff we're going to be able to do, and we're going to really focus down on those fundamentals, get you guys all hammered in. 
Uh, but we're it, it's looking like a go. We got to hammer out a little bit of the logistics. It'll end up going through Treadproof. So when you sign up, you'll go over to Treadproof and take care of it that way. So we're definitely on board with that, and, and it shouldn't be a big deal. Also, uh, let me go in, and since I'm here, I'm going to go jump into some of the older comments. Um. Yeah, they, they, like I'm gonna go just start with. Uh, let me just load a couple more. Uh, let me just see where I'm at. Um, ba 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 ba. ba. I want to find where I left off. Um, Frank BC variable place. I'm the What's the best way to comparison with example? Should I shoot my? Oh, okay. Let me back up a little bit more. Uh, keeping an eye on the tread proof. Uh. Wait, you say you have a 581 G-Way giving you a five-mile baseline. Does it only work that way? Let me see where we're coming from. Hang on. let me. I'm trying to figure out where I'm at. Okay, so this is where I stopped off. So when I left off, I, I, I read the comments when I, I showed up in Alaska. So I'm just going to blitz through some of them right now. Uh, yeah, so basically Robot Doc remembers the video where I threw this Schmidt and Bender. It was my Heinsolt 4-16 to video. And when I tossed it, and then I got KCH here. So Carlos and Robodoc remembered the video of me tossing that. So now the next one's KCH. Hey, Frank, question regarding grip angles, disregarding your favorite rifles overall. Do you gravitate more towards vertical grips like the MDT AAC MPA chassis? Or do you go for angle grips like many other chassis like the AI? I, You know, Mark's a big ver uh, vertical grip guy. I'm not so much. I like the traditional and, you know, when I look at it, go back to the AI legacy chassis, the Thumbhold AW legacy chassis. That, I went to them because they fit my hand really well. That pistol grip on there is on the smaller side, you know. So it has a vertical element, but it's not a straight vertical and I don't mind shooting a vertical grip, but I'm not a fan of the vertical grip. Um, you know, because I don't float the thumb. So those a lot of those grips kind of focus on the thumb float, and I don't do that. So I'm um it's a comfort thing because he asked about that. And more importantly, is there a fundamental reason why besides or just shooter comfort? I think it's more shooter comfort. And part of the fundamental side of it is how you position that hand on the grip to get a 90-degree trigger finger, okay? Because sometimes, depending on the grip and what's going on in the size of your hand, you have to rotate it. A grip is not to grip. A grip is to bring back into the shoulder pocket. So I tend to not grip it in the bigger grips. I, I You know, stuff, once it gets too big, like I was never a fan of like H&S stocks or the Remington Palm Swells, too big for me. You know, so I just didn't like it as a personal choice. Now, if your hand's bigger and things like that, that's where the comfort thing comes in, and I don't look at it as a fundamental thing. Frank, will you ever come to Southern California or neighboring states like Arizona and Nevada for training? Yeah, I mean, if there's a will, there's a way. It's got to be set up. You got to set it up a year ahead of time. Our schedule for Alaska, where we or me, I work my next year's schedule around Alaska. I mean, think about this. We signed up the Alaska dates and put them online. Oh, I got a piece of sausage. <coughs> pepper got me. So, wasn't the right button, but it's a pepper anyway. So, um, what I do is I'll go in, um, you know, wherever you guys want to. But we set, we, we, I posted the sniper side or the Alaskan Precision Rifle Training Area in 
uh, the sniper's hide. We posted it on Facebook. Four minutes. We had the first sign up. In 12 hours, we had something like 20 sign-ups. And I think, you know, when I left, there was close to 48 sign-ups in what we, you know, this year was 160 students. So we've already booked 48 students, and most of them the PR1 and 2 back-to-back classes for next year. So, you know, where I go and how I go is... You need a sponsor. I don't know ranges in Arizona, Nevada. I don't know the ranges in California. I don't, you guys got to set that up. And I need, you know, I need the distance. I need a clubhouse or some place to do my, my PowerPoint and my lessons. I want the ability to walk out the door to do the fundamental evals and things like that. So, um, uh, basically, you know, it's up to the individual if you want me to be in a certain spot. All right, what's this one say? Uh, so say you have a 5.8 G1 giving you your 5-mile-an-hour baseline. Does that only work the way you explained it up to 5-mile-an-hour wind? If so, how does that method change when the winds increase? Dude, it, this is your base wind. I don't I don't understand how you guys can't figure out if it's a 10-mile-an-hour wind, you double the number. If it's a percentage, like, you know, if it's an 8, it's 1 plus, you know, a percentage. And so it's, it's the, this is how you gauge your hold based on what it is. If it's a 15 mile an hour wind, it's times three. So if it's a 600 yard shot, dude, and who is this? Don, Don something, Don land or something, 600 yard shot, a 15 mile an hour wind would be three times six. Okay, if it's an 8-mile-an-hour wind, you would use like a 1 mil, kind of like 0.8, do the math, however you want to do it. But you're using 5 is your gun's base wind. That changes in several ways. It's technically, if you have a 580 G1, 0.580, you technically have a 5.8-mile-an-hour gun. But we're rounding it to 5 because we don't have to resolve the number to that degree. But if you go up 4,000 feet, if you're in Florida and you have a five-mile-an-hour gun, if you come to Colorado to shoot a match, you have a six-mile-an-hour gun because you went up 4,000 feet above sea level, so you're going to bump the gun up because there's less resistance here. You know, this number is hyper-flexible. If somebody gives you an example, well, 10-mile-an-hour wind does this. Like, every example you read on the Internet has a 10-mile-an-hour wind. Based on a 90-degree, 10-mile-an-hour wind, your hold is blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, what do you do if it's eight? You do the exact same thing with this method, okay? It's not complicated. It's basically telling you, my gun's five miles an hour. I base everything off of one, two, three, four, five, six at five miles an hour. If it's 10, you double it. If it's 15, you triple it. If it's 20, you quadruple it. If it's anywhere in between there, you can do the percentage and say, okay, it's not doubled at 10 it's eight now so let's add you know point whatever for that distance it's it just gives you that little bit more um keeping an eye on the tread proof craft schedule that's being worked on right now we are going to be going to uh tread proof in late october uh buy savage like every other rifle remove rail degrees screws threads loctite yeah you gotta you gotta basically do that i mean savage i talked to those guys like i mentioned it's, it's going to end up... All right, Frank, oh, what's this? With BCs being variable based on muzzle velocity, 
What's the best way to do comparison with weather? For example, should I shoot my 140 slower or 130s faster out of my 6.5? I'm sure the one will be higher than advertised and the 140 lower, but I mean, you got to figure it out with your gun. I mean, if you have a 26 inch barrel on your 6.5, you can push the sweet spot with a 6.5 is 2850. So if you can get 2850 out of your 140s, don't sweat it. But if you can't get 2850, if you only can get 2750 out of your 140s, go lighter. That's the point. So that's what I'm trying to say when it comes to variable BCs. You got to do your homework, man. There are no shortcuts until after you determine your value. You know, so that's XGM, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Joe, Joe Vadavostok, whatever your name, some kind of dude. Hey, Frank, love the show. Uh, I've been jumping into the tripod game, but I'm coming from super interested and feeling a needy one. I get that RS is the premier, but have uh, had any experience with the stuff from Spartan Precision? Uh, any guesses on when the Colorado? Dude, there's a lot of really good tripods out there. You know what I mean? Um, the, the guys use the Leofoto. I mentioned that. That was the more popular brand. Guys have the Faisals. Uh, I don't have a problem. You know, you can go to the Hog Saddle. Uh, Josh over there sells carbon fiber tripods that are half the price for the legs. There are a lot. The thing that matters is weight rating. And, and I'm technically giving you the tools to make your own buying decision. Okay. Where is your budget? Good. Got it. Lock it in. Now, what's the most, that's the wrong way of putting it, what's the highest weight rating on a leg system I can afford within my budget? These guys. Okay, then you could determine, well, if it's a Leo photo, they're putting a really right stuff leveling base in it because the, the bases, the ball heads and those things, that's the money doesn't really get wrapped up in the head. The money gets wrapped up in the legs. You need the weight rating. You can get a flat leveling base or a flat base and put an Anvil 30 for 350 on there. An Anvil 30 screw-on tripod mount is 350. So if you want that head, you can put that on an aftermarket set of legs without spending really right stuff money. That's the point. Might be lame question to many listeners, but what distance is recommended for truing a 22? I did mine, um, I matched mine up at 200, but I don't really know what the sweet spot for 22 is. I basically doped my 22 to 200 through those numbers in the computer. It's all subsonic, but I would guess that if you're zeroing it at 50 yards, then do between the 100 and 150 for the 22. I guess the easiest way would be a hundred yard range with your 22 and make that line up. And that'll put you in the middle for most people. So I don't really have the answer for that. And that is a really good question. It's not a lame one because I never thought about it that much. I just kind of put it in and said, okay, that's good done. And I never really played much with it. So I haven't got into the weeds with the 22 stuff. Cause to me, it's like, it's a 22. But um, anyway, I hope that helps. Uh, Brian Marks, uh, hey, Frank, what's your thoughts on the Leopold, the 5HD, 5 to 25? I can't this. I think it's a really nice scope. I like the 5HD, 5 to 25s, the 5HD line. I think Leopold did a really good job with them. 
um, better than some of the other lines. And, and, and it's kind of like, in my mind, they got their feet under them with the 5HD. I would almost say if I was going to get that over a Gen 2 Razor, I would probably, if I had a choice between the two, I'd probably today buy the 5HD. If it was my money coming out of my pocket, I would probably go that way. But I mean, it's up to you. You know, nobody's ever going to look down your nose and go, oh, gee, why'd you buy that if you bought a Vortex Gen 2 Razor? You know, I don't think anybody would say anything. But um, yeah, Alaska ATV, listening to the students' remarks after doing a four-day classes makes me want to schedule. Yep, be scheduled. Um, uh, the hammer and, 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 yeah, that hit me square in the head. Episode 183, the picture of the, excuse me, the target that I have is is pretty badass. So, um, yeah, the, the, what James and those guys presented to me. So they're talking about the Hammer Forge Fundamental Hammer that says what the fuck on one side, WTF, and then it has a Fundamental Frank on the other. So Fundamental Frank is going to beat you over the head with a Hammer Forge Fundamentals. Awesome episode, guys. Always a pleasure to be around both of you guys. I love humbleness. Um, I think they're talking about Adam and Mike. Uh, Frank, after listening to the opening of the podcast, I need a brain bleach for sure. Mark's story was scary. He took me by, pointed it out, and that's in the beginning of this other one. Hope to learn the weaponized math factor for calculating dope. I'm trying to convince Mark to um, basically post an article about the math. We, we, you know, there was a Phil Vallejo had posted a thing on Facebook. Who's using software versus who's using hard data? I use a ton of software. I have all of it. I mean, everything from, you know, the Hornaday Kestrel to the AB Kestrel to Traceall to Field Firing Solutions to my Trimbles to, you know, all these different and, and then the apps. And what we found in Alaska was, number one, the people aren't with their head in their app. You go into a classroom, nobody's got their phone in front of them. I go into the classroom on Friday here in Colorado. I guarantee everybody's got their phone out. They're waiting for data. In Alaska, they're ready to write it down. So we go hard copy on a universal number. And so it's really good system. It works really well for us. Tim Stevens, love the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Ryan Bowers, uh, Mike and Adam, miss you guys, man. Um, you know, and then we got Alaska, Mike and Adam, great job. Not much interested in the details of the AARR. But what I ta- did take away was from, dude, not everybody's a comp shooter. That's the clue. Uh, fundamentals, have a plan, be positive, have fun. You know, it's, it's super easy. He, he nailed it. Here's here. Here he is saying, I don't really care much about the competition scene, but I got something out of the competition scene. That's the way you're supposed to be. You know, uh, I screwed the pooch on starting a stage due to two stage, same distance back to back. I saw a second stage target was the same as the last, but didn't take into account. I had to reset my zero between stages. It took me uh, two shots to see my misses. Got the DA award on that, the dumbass award. So what he's basically saying is post-shot checklist. Remove your turret to zero. Remove your windage to zero. Do all these things. You know what I mean? Because he went to the next stage and added dope onto dope he already had. You don't always know where you spin. When you come off the gun, zero out the turrets. If you're going to stand up, put your gun down, do whatever it is you're going to do. Commiserate with your buddies. You know, the whole thing. So whatever it is, remove to zero. Because when you go up to the next stage, you want to know where you are. And where you are is at zero. And that's all you have to remember. So Robot Doc, good deal. 
Uh, Sean, any video of Adam's roll down the hill? You'd have to ask Mike and those guys. Uh, Kyle Combe. Combe. Uh, Mike, my man, thanks for the shout-out. Super sexy left-hand gain twist. Going to be a tack driver. Uh, oh, so he signed up and he got a left-hand gain twist from Mile High. So there's that. Fuzz is bugging me. He wants his food stuff. He's like, where's my food? Where's my food, man? Give me a second, Fuzz. I'm almost done, and then we'll go add this all in. He's up in my lap. He's trying to climb in my lap like Fuzz is known to do, but he's too big. All right. Why would I pay a company's defense fund that doesn't honor its commitments, pay its bills on a $1 million? Dude, go, you have no clue what the... Go away. So, G. Boussard, you're an idiot. And I'm not even going to get more than that. I'm just going to say, dude, you're an insult. You have no clue. Here's what I said to another guy who thought the same thing and doesn't know what he's talking about. It must be amazing to be so far in the dark and yet feel so enlightened. Not. Nah. Um, hey, Frank, love the podcast. Can you do a pod about the different tripods out there, uh, which is mutable? Yeah, I can talk about some of those. The Swede. I'll do a tripod episode for you guys. Mike and Frank, can you talk about... Oh, 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 go up. God dang, the dog. Wrapped up in my wires, trying to pull my shit off. Oi, 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 oi. All right, Mike and Frank, can you talk about target image on a bad Mirage Day prone? Having a little bit. Last two matches, I have been had to have a K around a 400 yard. I had to add 0.3 to hit center. When I check my dope, it's fine. I can't remember we talked as much in class. I know Snell's Law, but I thought you aimed low because Mirage made the target look. Well, Mirage ra- it, Mirage carries the image of the target higher. So you would actually use less dope than more because you're aiming at something that's not there. So back your power off, dude. If you, There's no reason to shoot over 12 power, hell, even 8 or 10 at a 400-yard target, and that might burn through some of that Mirage. I either... Carrying, I had to add 0.3 to hit center. Well, that's the opposite of what Mirage does. We've always had to subtract dope, not add, because it carries the image in the air, but the real target is on the ground. You're looking at a pencil through the um thing, and so y- y- that kind of seems backwards to me um, that you added. On top of that, it should be hotter. You should be subtracting dope. So I don't know what you were doing to have to add, but believe the bullet. You know, there is no number to fix Mirage. There's no, oh, just put point two and you're good. Oh, if, if you see Mirage this thick, just add, it's, it's all over the place. It's not a recognized value, you know? So it's trial and error. It's miss the first one, see what you did, correct, and shoot. I'm going to create an article. That's Mark uh, saying anything, I think. Uh, will do, thanks. Ballistic calculator section. Who knows? Interesting... Into, I think he meant info on 20. I don't know what that means. M113A3. Uh, is that like a Bradley? I don't know what that means. Interesting info on the 2800 factory ammo thing. I have no clue. You need more details. And always inter- interesting episodes, but this one was great hearing about the different views on practice. Yeah, I kind of have a, um, I'm going to bring out a quad and do some different things. So talking about practice, how many round practice and stuff like that. But, um, before that kicks in, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end off here. I'm going to default it over so you can hear the, the um, Mark and Frank. There's actually a purposeful loss episode on Thursday night before we left Sheep Creek. And Jesse was in on this. It was pretty funny. We had a drunk episode. Bad. I'm not posting it. I got it. 
And maybe I'll pull snippets out of it just so you can laugh. But, oh, my God, don't have, a, like, an 11 o'clock at night when you've been drinking since 7 o'clock episode ever. Um, and then, you know, we were like, let's do an episode. We should drink a little more. That was even worse. So, um, well, well, that's a lost episode. So I'm going to give you the replacement episode now with Taylor and myself in, at the Wiggy Shop in uh, Wiggy's Alaska there. So uh, be prepared for that, and that's where I'm going to. But thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Really appreciate it. If you want to support us, share it around. Tell your friends. Comment. Subscribe. Do all those things. That's how you support this podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Oh, that one's no fun. This is Platoon Sergeant Taylor. We're Frank and I just returning from a full week of July students, and uh, we're driving back into town, and we, we passed the scene of the event. I, <laughs> the I pointed it out to the scene of the crime. It, was, it brought back horrible memories. Of the, the seared memory of the the I had to grab the, the wheel. M Mark almost fell over crying. I was it was horrible. He, he was like I'm, rolled up in a little ball. I'm, I'm like, no, grab the wheel, keep driving, keep driving. No, I just wanted out of that. I wanted out of that intersection really quickly. Anyway, hey, just back. We had a great time this week. Wonderful students, uh, women in most every class except for the Davis and Mass X guys, uh, who are a corporate class. They they worked out really well. They had a lot of fun. Um, a little bit of competition stuff we'll tell you about, whatnot. Yeah, that, that was a good time. Um, basically, you know, for them, after hours is a big part of the event, having the ability to be at the lodge, be self-contained uh, the way we are. So, well, one side of the table was talking, you know, I'm going to outshoot you tomorrow. No, you'll outshoot me. And so they had a bet going on, and this bet happened probably about 10, 30, 11 at night. And so we ended up lining 14 clay pigeons across the 1,000-yard berm, which is about 1,015 yards, and they had one side versus the other. So that, that was a really fun event. About five guys hit it. We gave them five shots each. They hit it. So with their rifles, kind of hunting rifles, because Doug, Doug had that 3378 hunting rifle he hit. Um, Jed hit first round with his 338. And the class loaners, we, yeah, we had the we had, uh, Asbury Precision, and I've got a souped-up uh, RPR. It shoots real well. That hit. Uh, he hit with the RPR, center-punched it. So it, it was actually, um, you know, really good that way. We had a good time with those guys. Uh, you, you get to see a, vari a vi variety. I can't speak this morning because of last night. Um, you get to see a variety of stuff, uh, equipment that you don't normally see on the line and and it, and it gives us a good experience yeah we we, we rattled off a, a podcast last night about 30 minutes of one and it just turned out to be too obscene <laughs> we're, not, we're not gonna run <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, we, we, were, we were just i don't even think you'd be able drunk. to understand us yeah jesse jesse was in it and then i started complimenting jesse on her breast and whatnot it just got a it got out of control so basically we, we just decided not to run it <laughs> So having too much fun. We'll get Jesse in the ne in well, next time. Because Jesse just broke up with a boyfriend not too long ago. Yeah. So Mark, I think, was trying to give you a visualization over the radio. Yeah. Beautiful blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and what he was doing was was talking Jesse up in a way that, you know, you can't look at. And, and that got a little weird. We are yeah. like, ixnay on the, yeah. you know. Okay, so let's get off of that. Then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the technical side of what we're doing in the classes and the changes we made in the uh, you got the God book up and running. 
uh, that we talked about. So there's 397 students' names in the God book for the Alaskan Precision Rifle classes. We've started tracking everybody's data uh, through the course. And what we're going to do is I'm going to, during the off season, uh, between course cycles or whatever, I'm going to start digging into those numbers and find out what's consistent. We're going to create a, a, a sort of like a, a flip sheet so that, man, we're, we're just not going to waste any rounds anymore. We're not wasting rounds, but we want to get guys on, on, their, on the line as soon as possible on the uh, watermark. So I'm going to start digging into, into some, some numbers. We, we, saw, we had a 223. Yeah, we saw you know, so a we got lot some good of, data on uh, a 223. Right. I mean, you think about all the hunting rifles we had from 38 uh, Win Mag or 338 Win Mag to 3378 to the 223 to the 5, you know, um, what do you call it? The 6.5 Creeds, the 308, 16-inch, six yeah, 16-inch 308. So we're, we're collecting all this data on what these guys are using for drops. But I have to say, this class really blew the curve out because their fundamentals weren't as rock solid as the our normal class because they're corporate guys, you know. A lot of them in those numbers. And what we see is, um, you know, we take them on first day, they come in with a zero, maybe they don't. We get the rifle zero, but then we haven't zeroed the shooter. Right. And we got to zero the shooter. And zero in the shooter is the fundamentals process where we teach the... Let me get my thought process. All right, so it, to the fundamentals, I can put it together. Sorry, the dog just unplugged everything and messed us all up, so we'll get you up and running. Um, but, yeah, so... We, we, we come in on, on the first day. Uh, maybe the student brings a zero. Maybe they don't. But we zero the rifle, and then we haven't zeroed the shooter yet. So, so in zeroing the shooter to the fundamentals, we're going to remove all of the the um, what the shooter brings. The influence, to it. all the all negative the influence, influence yeah, that negative. either throws their zeros off or makes it inconsistent. And you know, we're tightening them up. We're trying to get everybody in that five eighths to half MOA, but some of these rifles just aren't up to that spec. And then when you start doping them out to distance, you don't see the numbers line up as they should. Oh, uh, you know, great example. One guy didn't want to use a rear bag, and it's like, hey, well, let's use a rear bag. We gave him a rear bag, and the next thing you know, I turn around and he's not using it. And this is in, you know, class where they don't pay their bill, and we're seeing huge, huge verticals in his shots. Okay, you know, no two elevation shots are the same because the the buttstock's dipping under his shoulder. Nothing's holding it up. Yeah, he was he was at a mill, at a mill, then. Back. Add, add point eight. Nothing responded. <laughs> yeah, it was like, add, I'm looking at his data, and he's adding a mil. Okay, got it, five to six. Add about a mil, six to seven. Then add point eight, seven to eight. It was just, it wasn't lining up because he wasn't have, didn't have the rifle in his, in his shoulder, right? No rear support. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's just kind of, you know, that's the kind of information we're bringing to the table. Like guys had asked in the, in the questions, you know, what's one of the most common fundamental errors we see? And as we had mentioned, it's not just one error. It's a combination that then translates into your data. And that's where you see inconsistencies with your ballistic computers. That's what you go to a range session. And, you know, we got a three MOA vertical plate and you're not hitting it. You know, your data is not lining up today as it did last time. And it's like, wow, three MOA, that's a lot of stuff. And you're kind of playing chasing elevation. If you're chasing elevation, you know, there was probably a metric ton of you in there, and some of it may have been worked out, or some of it may be the same, and because you're inconsistent, that's what happens. We're not firing the rifle. We caught a couple flinches. 
Yep. And, you know, and if you're flinching, that's something we cannot control. We can't control your data anymore if you're flinching. Nothing's going to come out true. So uh, got, definitely got to get that out. Do you have your sheet that um, that says what, what kind of like just read off the math part that you were talking about, your weaponized math? Do you have it in your email? The email to me, you sent it or text to me. Hand me, um, baby, hand me my green book back there uh, on, the, on so, top of it. It says Taylor. We'll, get, we'll, 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 we'll just kind of read through some of the multiples that we are looking at and, and how you gain your data going without the computer, with tri-dope basically. And it, it's tri-dope with purpose, you know. So that's something you, you could take and shoot 200 yards. And the yard. black bag on top. I was gonna nope. say, you had it on your phone. You could So... We've already discussed this a little bit, so we won't beat it up too much. But what we got is uh, I, I sat down with the numbers on 308s and 65s and, and worked out percentages a little bit. And I came up, came up with factors like moving from the 500, your 500 data, use a factor of 1.4, multiply your 500 dope times 1.4, and that will give you a plate strike at 600. Uh, then take your 600, multiply it by factor 1.3, and that will give you 700. Take your 700 data, multiply 1.25, and that will give you 800. And on, on down, it goes to 1.24 and then 1.22, and we're only going to 1,000. But this is just something, it's nothing but physics and, and mathematics, guys. And, and basically, if you start digging in the numbers, you'll start seeing some really cool trends and, and getting things worked out. Now, there's always tri-dope, but if you're by yourself and your fundamentals are not yet solid, which is probably who we're talking to right now, um, you're not going to see all your splashes, especially if you've got targets hanging in the air. So you're not going to know whether you're over or under. This is going to give you a great starting place. Right. It's where you can't see. Because what, what, what the problem we were looking to solve originally is we got such a huge variety of firearms, such a huge variety of calibers. You know, you don't know what's going on. And guys, that we're, we're, we're working them through their lessons. And our plates, some of them, I mean, we set the 900 with a pickup truck. You, we stand in the bed. And the poles are over the bed where the truck can drive under. So you can't see if a strike is high or low, especially the amount of mirage out there and the ground falls off. So here's a plate that's 13 feet in the air. And, and, and say you're shooting against the tree line or you're shooting somewhere where you can't see it or you still haven't managed recoil um, or you still can't uh, execute recoil management. And so you're not seeing your strikes and what's going on, and you are by yourself. This should get you on the plate and put you in there, and then you can fine-tune it from that point for you and have your data. And so that's kind of what we're looking to do with this is kind of take something from nothing and get you where you're not hunting for it with 10 or 20 rounds to hit a target. Instead, you're on it in two or three. Yeah, I want you to bring 100, 160 rounds to the course. That's going to get you through the course if you do too much firing ideally this is precision this is not you know sp uh spitballing we, we're not spitballing things we want to be as precise as we can so it's my job really to save you ammunition we've got to get you reps we've got to get you uh precise reps but i don't want you expending 120 160 rounds just uh, to come to our course if we can get you through in 110. right right i mean it, it is it is about uh the qu the quality of the shot and not the quantity of it and and I mean I've taken I talk about this all the time in the classes I took years ago um, AR classes with the you know it, it the instruct at the end of day two like the afternoon of day two of a two day class he's like how many rounds did you shoot 
and it's like 800 and he goes oh no that's not good enough and then it's failure drills to the end of the class and to get 1500 round count among two days and you know you come out of there and your arms are jelly and you know what really did i learn other than how to dump a mag you know so eh, it's it's a completely different mindset based on disciplines based on what's going on and it's just nice that we're seeing a bigger variety of firearms everything from the uh what do you call it? everything from the, the the game guns the mpas and the different stuff to hunting rifles and you know we had that three pound 300 wisdom yesterday yeah I, I hadn't touched the guy's rifle uh through the whole course he's he's getting destroyed by a three uh 300 wisdom and i i picked it up to move it off the line yesterday and it might have weighed three and a half pounds i mean it was extremely light and I thought, oh, my God, to shoot this thing would just, you know, yeah. you're never going to get fundamentals on it. He didn't get fundamentals. So we handed him an RPR, and he, he, he now thinks sniping is easy. He's like, oh, no wonder you guys are so good. You mm-hmm. know, I said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then he starts missing, you know. But, but basically, you, you must apply the fundamentals. But with a rifle like that, you really, you're just, it's exploding like a hand grenade in your hands. So there really is no fundamental. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, that, all that recoil is, is, is starting to be a negative to your learning. And that's where, you know, dry fire comes in. That's why, I mean, how many times do we tell the line? Start dry presses. Start, you know, when we come to the shooter in front of you, you should be doing your snaps. And then when we move over to you, you're going live. You know, there's that logical order of it. But given time and opportunity, always dry fire. You set your natural point of aim. You go through your couple breathing cycles. You get on the target. Then you do your dry fires, which is your fine tune. And then we roll over to you. And all it takes is mag in, go live. Don't break your position. Don't reach behind. Don't that Mark likes when they look up at him and start when he's telling them what's going on next, and they get off the gun and look up. Yeah, my my comeback is uh, I've got four ex-wives who know how handsome I am. I don't need you looking at me. I know I'm handsome, but they they always want to look at you when you're engaging with them. But uh, I want you to stay on the rifle. Just keep cheek weld at all times. And, and you get you get um, you can also tell them what you tell them when they when they ri- lift up to do the turrets too. Well, that gets back into the obscenity, the obscene portion. You know, a guy, guy has to, he pops his head up like a groundhog and reaches up and, and spins on three because we tell him to put on three. I tell him, look, man, when you're in the, in the dark with your wife in the bedroom, do you have to turn on the lights to find her titty? No, you know exactly where her titty is. So reach up there and grab that turret and put on three. Yeah, yeah. So. They find it amusing. I'm amusing, I guess, to some. Yeah, that's all. It's, it's all a good time. Well, um... <laughs> I mean, that's the entertainment part of the, 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 the Mark and Frank show up here that, yep. you know, that we're throwing these things out to kind of because it's like, hey, do this. And, you know, 12 guys will do it. And then you go, all right, well, there's three guys or four guys that aren't doing it to the same level. And it's like, all right, well, how do you break through to those four holdouts? Yeah. You know, and that's what we're looking to do with that. So it becomes a minority, but. <laughs> A big deal because we're we're blowing it up bigger because it is only like the last couple holdouts who are still you know doing the bad habits and doing those things. But we don't give up, and we don't give up till the end, and uh, and they usually come around. Yeah, yeah, no, it works out well. It works out well. What else did you want to? Uh, you read your Dougie comment last night. Well, in talking to Dougie, you guys got to meet Dougie. He's uh, he's a really a, 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 a an A number one cat. He always strolls through the lodge in the mornings and in the evenings. Lives in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he's a he's a general handyman, I guess, and, and makes money doing a lot of things. He got in an uh, auto accident a number of years back, gave him a brain injury. And so Dougie sounds drunk 
100% of the time. But he only drinks one beer here, one beer there. But everybody thinks Dougie is totally, you know, uh, on his lips, but he's not. But he's as sharp as cat, man. I mean, he's really sharp and witty. And last night he had a, he had a comment. Something. Oh, oh it was, um, the glass is not half empty. The glass is not half full. It's refillable. Yes. And I thought that was brilliant, so I wrote it down, and I wanted to tell you guys. But if you come up, you're going to like Dougie. I buy him breakfast every once in a while because I know I'm probably a little bit more moneyed up than Dougie is. But everybody loves him. Just one of those other, just another character for you to run into up here. Yeah, man, it's a, you know, we're, we're, it's a reality show. We're building the cast of characters. Yeah, yeah. We're setting the stage for everybody. You get to see what's going on. Yeah, no Norbert visits this time. I, I saw think. Norbert, but I, it was questionable. Yeah, okay. Because, uh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't cast a shadow, Frank. He he, cast I think shadow. he did, ma'am. I thought I saw him in front of the Coca-Cola machine when I was downstairs. He peeked over, and then he zipped back. It was really fast, yeah, and it was a silhouette of a person in front of a Coke machine. Yeah, I, I got to see shit move. It was. The shadow moved. Oh. He moved in front of it because the Coke machine has the white light. Yeah. You know, so it's the bright white light behind it, and all the lights were coming off, and we were just kind of sitting in there closing the place out. And I saw Nerbert dash over, and then he zipped up the stairs. Wow. Are you sure that shadow wasn't Harry? Or... I don't no, know. could have Norbert. been anybody. It's Norbert. But it, it zipped up the stairs, man. Yeah. We don't know. So, all right. Anything else you got? Wrap it up. What do you Nah, mean? we can wrap it up. Uh, oh. Just some, We just wanted to touch base with you before, before Frank got out of town. I won't see him again until late September. We've got a two-day PR2, and then we're going to roll right into the reunion. Well, we roll into the anniversary night. For, for the lodge, that's a big old bash. If it's if it's not dry, they're gonna have massive fireworks. It's it's there'll be hundreds of people there. It'll be standing room only in that big place, and uh, a lot of students. We'll take we'll be about half the population, I'm sure. Then we'll have a big breakfast in the morning, a big uh, breakfast buffet. Um, I'll me and Frank will pay for that, or or JTB or somebody will pay for that damn thing. And then um, we'll roll out and shoot, do some maybe some light little bit of. Co short competitions and whatnot but just basically get everybody together have a good shooting day and hang out you know yeah uh frank will go home uh, frank's probably going to come up to the banquet this year banquet's going to be a, a just a total blast like it was last year it'll be on february 8th at the uh, hotel captain cook hey if you guys from the outside want to come up you never seen alaska in the winter time maybe you're southern californians or something you don't ever see winter but uh come up and join us for that too so yep yep all right. All right, close her out, Frank. Yep, thanks for listening. I'll probably do some other stuff, mix it in, but uh, we'll be talking Hey, ladies, to you. ladies, don't bathe in the windshield wiper fluid. We're good. Yep.